it live? Is it working? You good? You have it on? How do you know? That's going. Yeah, but that's not live. This is live. Yeah? You see thumbs coming up? Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, what we're going to learn about tonight is really important. It's, it's really important to be able to understand the story of Purim. Because the story of Purim, like every story, has to begin somewhere. But like every story, unless you know what precedes that story, you don't really appreciate or understand the story of Purim. So if you, if you only read the Megillah, and, and we start, we introduce the Megillah at a certain point in the reign of Ahasuerus. Several years into his reign, suddenly he makes a big party. And we don't, we don't know why he's making a big party. We don't know why he waited this time. We don't know why it was important for him that the Jewish people should attend. We don't know why things went wrong in this party. And of course, they, they went awfully wrong. Not for us in the long run, because Vashti was a monster, but, but it went awfully wrong for Ahasuerus. If you don't know the story before the story, you don't really understand the story. Now, having said this, I want to point out one more thing. You probably have heard people say that Ahasuerus miscalculated. Or maybe you heard people say Belshazzar miscalculated with regard to the 70 years of exile. And you wonder to yourself, how could that be miscalculated? Whenever the base of Megas was destroyed, 70 years later. Either the Jewish people did return to Eretz Yisrael, or they didn't return to Eretz Yisrael. And in fact, they returned very slowly. And it was, it was a stage return. So how does that work? How could Jewish people have returned almost 15 years before the story of Purim, or 13 years before, and then two years later return again? Basically, the starts being built, it stops being built. Like, like how does that work with the prophecy? How does that, how does that fit into the 70 years? These are all valid questions, they're good questions. And you're going to find out the answers tonight. Because once you know this Gemara, then you have the matrix to understanding the story of Purim in its proper sweep of history. Now the way the story of Purim has to be couched or framed, at least minimally, is the story of the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, the Jewish people going into exile, a mass assimilation to the point that they participated in this great big party that Ahasuerus threw on Shabbat using vessels and artifacts from the Beit HaMikdash with Ahasuerus prancing around in the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and Jewish people participated. And that in turn, not, not immediately, we're going to see, takes years, that in turn eventually leads to a, a decree against the Jewish people. Eventually, a full year later, they're saved from that decree. A year after that, the Megillah is formally canonized. And then, a year after that, the Jewish people begin their return to Eretz Yisrael. So there's a, there's, a, there's a big picture over here. I mean, let's put it this way. The central, the central character in the, in, the, in the story of Purim, who's the central character? Mordechai, Esther. How about if I tell you the Jewish people? This, this is a story about the Jewish people. 
It's a story about Jewish peoplehood. It's a story about Jewish exile. It's a story about Jewish survival. It's a story about Jewish renewal. It's a story about Jewish triumph. It's a story about Jewish eternity. That's it's what it's a story about. Now, there are pivotal figures who lead the Jewish people in these critical moments. Mordechai is certainly a very important figure in the story of Purim. Esther Hamalka, his niece, and according to many opinions, his wife, a very important and key figure in the story of Purim. Obviously, you can't have a Purim story without a Haman, and there would never be a Purim story without Achashverosh. Of course, all that's true. Of course, all that's true. But the story is really about the Jewish people. So in order to understand how the Jewish people end up in Persia, and or why they are spread across 127 provinces, which is the entirety of what we're going to call the Western world at the time, how all this unfolds and, and, and how one thing follows the next needs to be properly understood. And the only way to understand it is to study this Gemara in Masechet Megillah. If you do not study this Gemara, anybody who doesn't know this Gemara cannot understand the story of, of Purim properly. Now, the Gemara Megillah interprets all, all different parts of the Megillah. And you may miss a nuance here or there if you didn't learn the Gemara. But if you don't learn this Gemara, you don't understand the setting. You don't, don't get the historical setting. So let me refresh your memory from last week. Last week we talked about this epic miscalculation and that was conducted by a man whose name was Belshazzar. Who is Belshazzar? Why is he important? Besides that he is the father of Vashti. So let me recap briefly and then we'll move forward into Achashverosh or as he's known in Western parlance, Xerxes. The Jewish people had a great king whose name is Yeshayahu. He is the last really great king of Yehuda. Yeshayahu is a person during whose tenure the Beis Hamikdash still functions fully, which means that the Ark is in the Holy of Holies, the Kohen Gadol actually enters the Holy of Holies in the fullest sense, All, everything is happening fully, and Yeshayahu realizes he's a very righteous king, he's done very many wonderful things, but he knows that in the end, the Jewish people are not going to remain loyal to Hashem, and their days are numbered. The circumstance is doomed, and therefore he begins to prepare for the end. For the end of the first Beit HaMikdash, in many ways, for the end of mass revelation, the way it was experienced in the Beit HaMikdash. It's not going to be the same in the second Beit HaMikdash. The second Beit HaMikdash is only a Beit HaMikdash in name. It is a functional Beit HaMikdash. It's a Beit HaMikdash in which we're able to perform the mitzvot, which are very important. But it's not a Beit HaMikdash where we felt the presence of God. We weren't swept off our feet like the prophets. That was only in the first Beit HaMikdash. And all of the fasts that we have, they commemorate the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. Because after the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, we entered into an exilic period in which we are no longer fully functioning, no longer capable of functioning with the same spiritual acuity, and we have, in truth, never really recovered. There were some bright moments along the way, but we never really recovered. Now, Yeshio puts all this into motion, and then Melech Yeshio dies. He dies 22 years, 22 years before the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. At the time of Yeshio, the ruler of the world, is a man whose name is, well, it was, was, the, was an empire built by a man named Sancherov, and that empire was later ruled by his son, whose name was Asar Chadon. Asar Chadon is master of the world, but the Jewish people are on their own. They're independent, they are not under the thumb of Sancherov. Sancherov had come to destroy Yehuda, 
with the grandfather of Yeshua, who was named Chizkio, and miraculously the Jewish people are saved. Okay, Yeshua dies. When Yeshua dies, his son Yehiyakum becomes the king. Yehiyakum is a king. He's a king. He's a king of Yehuda. He's a very faulted individual. He's, 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 he's very, very, very limited in his capacity. But nonetheless, he's the king. Now, while this is going on in Yehuda, the Jewish people are living very sinful lives. And as a rule, not being loyal to Hashem and His Torah. There are winds of change in the world. Just about three years after Yeshayahu's passing and the beginning of Yehoyakim's reign, about three years into that, a young general named Nebuchadnezzar sweeps into Nineveh and destroys Asar Chadon. The mighty Assyrian Empire crumbles. It crumbles almost overnight. And this Nebuchadnezzar is an extraordinary, powerful person. He takes control of the entire Sancherev Empire. The Assyrian Empire is now known as the Babylonian Empire. Now, Sancherev, who controls the whole world, does not control Yehuda. Right? Sancherev marched on Yehuda. He was dispersed. He was, uh, the Hashem miraculously saved Yehuda. He saved Yerushalayim. And ultimately, Sancherev's children killed him because of that. So Asar Chadon doesn't control Yehuda. When Nebuchadnezzar captures the Assyrian Empire, it does not include the southern part of Israel. The northern part of Israel has been sacked and destroyed. The southern part of Israel continues to flourish as a Jewish state, a Torah Jewish state. Nebuchadnezzar, one year after becoming king, after becoming emperor, self-made emperor of the Babylon, in the self-made new empire called Babylonian Empire, sets his sights on Yerushalayim. Got to tame those rascals. Got to bring them in. Can't, we can't have these Jews being independent. So he marches on Yerushalayim. He captures Yerushalayim. He plunders treasures of the Beis HaMikdash. And he tells Yehoiakim, you are basically going to become, you can play king if you want, but I'm the king. You'll be paying tribute to me. Don't try to, don't mess around with me. Well, Yehoiakim behaves like a good Babylonian lackey for three years. And then he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. Three years after that rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar marches back, in the fourth year of the rebellion, marches back to Yerushalayim. This time he slaughters Yehoiakim, and there's prophecies about the death of Yehoiakim that are fulfilled. And after he slaughters Yehoiakim, he installs his son, whose name is Yehoiakim. He installs Yehoiakim as the Melech, Yehoiakim or Yehoiakim, as he's known. Now, Yehoiakim is only king for a few months. And the advisors of Nebuchadnezzar say, what were you smoking? Would you, would you allow the guy who rebelled against you, you put his son as the king? It's not going to work. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're right. I have to break the back of those Jews. I, I, can't, I can't trust them. So he marches back on Yerushalayim. And this time he exiles the king. His name is Yechonia. We read about him in the Megillah. That's the sad part. Im Melech Asher Right? With Nebuchadnezzar sends in the Golos. So Yehoshua is sent into Gauls. Now, Nebuchadnezzar very, very uh, deviously robs Yerushalayim of its wealth, but also of its spiritual wealth. He exiles the sages. He exiles the wise people. So the Jewish people, how, how are they going to hold it together? They're not. They're not. Because they, they lost all of their spiritual leadership. 
he installs another son of Yeshayo. This is, this is Yoakim's brother, Sidkiyo. He installs Sidkiyo as a vassal king. And that, that lasts for a while, but it doesn't last forever. And 11 years later, he's had it. Nebuchadnezzar comes. Sidkiyo tries to escape in a very elaborate tunnel system that he built. He's caught. He's slaughtered. His, everybody's killed. And the base of English is destroyed. Now, if you, we had a many events that took place I talked about, right? This, the rise of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's march against Yerushalayim, and his subduing of Yehoiakim, then his subsequent murder of Yehoiakim, and then his temporary Yehoiakim being installed, Yehoiakim being exiled. After Yehoiakim being exiled, Tzidkiyo being king, 11 years later, Tzidkiyo being destroyed, and the base of Migdash finished. Yerushalayim is raised, and, and um, Yehuda really is smashed at that point. You got that timeline? This is a very important timeline to understand because we said that the emperors who replaced Nebuchadnezzar were very crafty and they, 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 they were not entirely oblivious to the Jewish prophets. They were very nervous about the Jewish prophets and they thought the Jewish prophecies, that was their big challenge. If they could get past the Jewish prophecies, everything would work out okay. If they could dominate and subdue the Jewish people, they would dominate and subdue everybody. If they could not, it would prove to be their undoing. Now, Nebuchadnezzar reigns for 45 years. Nebuchadnezzar has a son whose name is Evil Merodach. Evil Merodach takes over. He's the king for 23 years. Evil Merodach has a son whose name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar is a grandson, a direct grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, he's installed as the emperor after his father, Uncle Evil, dies. Evil Merodach is dead. Nebuchadnezzar obviously is dead. So the next king is Belshazzar. This is the Nebuchadnezzar line. Belshazzar has a daughter, a very beautiful daughter. Her name is Ashti. Belshazzar waits two years and then he makes a calculation. His calculation is, it said, 70 years, the Babylonian Empire is finished. 70 years. Makes the calculation, 70 years has passed and I'm sitting on my throne and the Babylonian Empire is alive and well. In that case, the prophecies will not be fulfilled. We will not be punished for destroying the base of Megiddo. We will live forever, and Israel is dead. And so, now he has the gall, the chutzpah, the insolence, and even the courage to take to unwrap those treasures, which Vuchadnezzar himself was terrified to touch, even though he destroyed the base of Megiddo. And he wears the coin goddess clothes, and he makes a big ball. This ball celebrates the end of the Jews. The end of Israel. The Jews will never return. Babylon lives forever. Well, for at least another few hours. That night, there's a vision. And Hashem informs Belshazzar and his people through the writing on the wall. You're finished. They are finished. Because they made that party, Hashem causes the victory of two kings. We have a Darius, Daryovish, Hamadi, Darius the Mede, who comes with his friend Cyrus of Korish the Persian, Korish Parsi, and they vanquish the Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar is killed that night. Vashti survives. Vashti is taken as a prisoner. Members of the family have taken, are taken as prisoners. 
And this is the rise, this is the end of the Babylonian Empire. And this is the rise of the Persian Empire. But the Persian Empire is not really so Persian. Because in the beginning, remember, the victor is a man whose name is Darius. And there is a Persian Darius, that's the son of Esther and Ahasuerus, but he's not around yet. The first Darius is a Mede. It's Persia and Media. So first it was the Persia slash Media kind of empire. And that lasts for only four years, four, four plus years. And when Darius dies, so then Cyrus takes over. Daryovish Hamodai, Hamodi, the media, Darius the Mede, is, is, he dies. He doesn't reign very long. And then immediately Cyrus, his, part, his friend, the partner in arms from Persia, takes over the empire. And he only lives for a couple of years. And when he dies, the son of the royal state, the man who took care of the royal stables, manages to push his way to the top. His name is Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, to solidify his position, marries Vashti, the great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the daughter of Belshazzar. You got the picture? So this whole calculation we learned about last week. Now, Ahasuerus is nobody's fool. Ahasuerus says like this. I don't want to play games. He says, I got to be careful here now. When, when my... My father-in-law, Belshazzar, who he never knew, my father-in-law used these vessels. When he wore the clothing of the coin god, it did not go well for him. Hmm. He says, well, I better make the right cheshman. I better make the right calculation. So we are on Dafyud Aleph Amad Beis, page 11, Masechet Megillah, page 11 of the large folio Gemara pages, side 2. And after this preface, which is a little bit of a redundancy from last week, but I apologize. I didn't, I didn't think you'd be able to understand it without hearing all that. After you got this whole picture of Belshazzar's mistake, we're now going to move into Nebuchadnezzar's mistake. All right. The last thing we learned is Belshazzar was killed on that very night. Near the bottom of the page, near the very bottom, it says, That very night, Belshazzar was killed. Belshazzar was finished off. And then it says afterwards, the Daryovish Mado'a, which is Aramaic for Darius the Mede, Kibul Malchusa, he took the reins. He became ruler for Shnin Shtin Shitin for two years, and after Shnin Shitin for two years, or two and a half years, Vatartin Amar Iyu. Oh, so now we're at the bottom. Okay. He was Daryovish was at the time Shitin Vatartin sixty-two, and we talked about this. Why? Why is it was. We'd last week we finished off by talking about why his name, his age is mentioned. Got it. Okay, so now the Gemara, if you're looking inside the Gemara pages, it's where the lines start to get wide. Just above that. Omar Achashverosh said, Ihu Bilshatsar Mito Toi. He made a big mistake. I'm not going to make those mistakes. Ano. I will make the right calculations. I will make the right calculations 
And I will not make a mistake. Miksiv. Does the prophecy then say 70 years Lamalchus Bavel? Does it then say 70 years for the Persian, for the Babylonian Empire, that the Babylonian Empire would only last for 70 years? It doesn't say that. It says, it says, Lebavel, my Lebavel, Legolus Bavel. It doesn't mean Bavel. It means to the exile, the Babylonian exile. Why would the Hebrew scriptures or prophecies speak of Babylon? Of what relevance is Babylon to the Jewish people? The only relevance or reason that the prophets of Israel would speak about Babylon and count by Babylon is because Babylon did something very bad to Israel. It's the prophets of Israel. What did Babylon do to Israel? Make them pay tribute? Okay, big deal. What did Babylon do to Israel? Well, what Babylon did is Babylon... It brought about Galut. It exiled the people. So this is after Yehoshua is killed, and after Yehoshua is taken into Galus. And it says, All of the wise people, all the talented individuals, everybody who could have led was taken into Babel. This was a major Galut. It's a the Jewish people were stripped of their leadership. So he made a calculation of Galut Babel. Galut Babel means. This is the, 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 the Babylonian exile. So he says, I'm going to count 70 years from there. So the Gemara says, so let's look now. What, what, here, what here was missing before? Kama bitsiron. How much, how many years are we missing? of the 70 years of Golos? And the answer is, we're missing, we're missing Tamni, we're missing eight. How are we missing eight years? Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar initially has Yehoyakim become a vassal state. Yehoyakim is paying tribute. Yehoyakim pays tribute for three years. Then Yehoyakim rebels for three years. In the fourth year, which is seven years into this, Yehoyakim is killed, and Yehoyakim or Yehoyakim is, is appointed as king. And then that doesn't work. Everybody says, you're crazy. You're never going to succeed putting in Yehoyakim, the son of Yehoyakim. You better go get rid of him. So in the eighth year, which is eight years after the initial conquest of Yerushalayim, eight years later, he comes and he exiles all of the wise people, all of the leadership, all those who are capable of in some way holding the fort down. So therefore, Achashverosh now makes the calculation, that's Golas Bavel. So Achashverosh starts now to think, where do I, fill, do I have to fill in these extra eight years? What's the extra eight years? The mistake of Belshazzar. Belshazzar ruled for two years, and then he said, oh, two years, seven years of the Babylonian Empire. That's exactly seven years after my Zaidi, after my grandfather conquered the son of Sancheref. So he says, one year of Belshazzar, which is the third year of Belshazzar's rule, that's year number one. Then there is another Chamesh, the Chamesh, the Daryovesh, the Then there is the five years of Darius, the Mede, and Cyrus the Persian. Vitarte di day. 
and then two years of Achashverosh's reign. You get the calculation? So he says, Balshatzer made a mistake. Balshatzer jumped the gun. He made the wrong calculation. He thought the world is Babylonia-centric, but really it's Israel-centric. At least the Israel prof- Israel, Israel, the Jewish prophets are. The prophets of Israel, for sure, were Jewish-centric. So they wouldn't talk about the beginning of Bavel, even though Bavel ultimately destroys the base of Migdash. They would talk about when the exile took place. So when did the exile take place? The exile took place eight years after Nebuchadnezzar originally marches, or if you, want, if you want, seven years after Nebuchadnezzar captured, but eight years after he became king, because it was a, he was king for a year, then he marched on Jerusalem. So king for, a, king for a, a year, marching on Jerusalem, seven years later, the great exile, because he comes after the first year, right? Belshazzar was making the calculation from the beginning of the Babylonian exile. Babel, of, of Babylonia, the Babylonian Empire. Babylonian Empire is a year old before Nebuchadnezzar marches on Jerusalem. When Yuch, excuse me, when Yehoiakim is appointed, is the, is the king, but he is essentially under the thumb of, of Nebuchadnezzar, that goes on for three years, and then another three years. And then in the fourth year, which is seven from when he first came to Yerushalayim, that's when he exiles all of the Jewish people. He kills Yehoiakim and eventually exiles Yehoiakim. So there are eight years that are missing. And this is the calculation. Achashver says that's what he did wrong. That's where he went off. He counted from the beginning of the Babylonian Empire. I need now to make up eight years. So he said, okay, perfect. One year of Belshazzar. That was the first year. After the one year of Belshazzar, then comes five years of Darius and Cyrus, who conquered Belshazzar. So one year and five years and five years gives you six. Now I have six, he says. Ahasuerus ascends the throne. He marries Vashti. He is a ruler for two years. We have a sum total now of eight years when Belshazzar made his original mistaken calculation. And so he makes his calculation. He puts his finger up in the, finger up in the air and he wins a redemption. Jewish people building the base of Mikdash. Nothing doing. Nothing doing. In fact, in fact, Darius or Cyrus actually, had given the Jewish people permission. And 40,000 people went with Nehemiah. They were starting to rebuild. And then they killed it. It was killed. The project was killed. So there were Jewish people living back in Israel. But the Beis Hamikdash's building wasn't happening anymore. Nobody was talking about going back to Israel. Everybody had given up on the Israeli settlement. It was a tiny uh, group of Jews living in Israel. But that was just, you know, was not, was not in any formal way a reconstitution of the glorious Isra- Israelite empire. So he says, ah, so eight years have passed. Now is 70 years since the exile and there is no change. Now I can celebrate. <laughs> now I know. Now I know I'm safe. Now I know the prophecies are coming true. So when this happened, Kivan the Shivin, he saw seven years had gone by from after Belshazzar's death. The Jewish people had not been redeemed. Omar Hashto, he said, now, Vada Isulay Mifriki. And that's it, he said. And then it's finished. Now they're not being redeemed anymore. If they're not being redeemed, Apek Mani de Be Migdosha. He took out the vessels of the base of Migdosh, Vishtamishbu, and he used them. Do you think Ahashvirish got away with this? No. Why? What happened? The Gemara says, when you use the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash, there are fatal consequences. When Belshazzar used the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash, what happened? Belshazzar was killed. His family was killed. He was killed. 
When Ahasuerus used those vessels eight years later or seven years later, who was killed? Vashti. Bo Satan, the Satan came, a satanic force meaning an obstruction, that's an obstruction that stops normalcy from unfolding. Berikid Beneim, and the Mepharshim talk about the dance over here because in his drunken stupor, Ahasuerus insisted that Vashti, the beautiful queen, should come wearing nothing but her jewelry and do a belly dance for everybody. And she said, are you absolutely out of your mind? Listen to my drunk husband. I don't care if he's the king. He's king because I'm the queen. <laughs> she said, I'm not doing that. And he went crazy. And he killed his wife. And the next morning, he said, what did I just do? What kind of lunatic am I? He wasn't happy about this. He wasn't proud of what he did. And this came as a punishment because of, of his use of the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay, so at this point, I have to introduce you to a major, major overhaul of the story by Ramban. So Ramban asks three major questions here. Three. Question number one, he says. He said, if Ahasuerush saw that Belshazzar made a calculation and he was wrong, and as a result of his not doing the right thing, he was killed, how could he be so certain he made the right calculation? Like, why was he so sure he was going to get away with this? And interestingly, he made the wrong calculation. Why wouldn't he be afraid? You saw what happened. You saw Belshazzar killed. And now you're going to make your own calculation? You're going to come to your own conclusions that God's not redeeming the Jewish people? That's what your father-in-law said. It didn't go well for him. How did Achashverosh have the chutzpah to do that? Question number one. Question number two, Ramban asks, he says, how could Ahasuerus say that the Jewish people were not redeemed? But, but they were redeemed. In the days of Cyrus, which came before him, 40,000 Jews left the Persian Empire and moved back to Israel. And they started rebuilding the base of Megdash. And the truth is that there was no major movement into Israel afterwards. That was the major movement. There was no massive movement was small trickling afterwards. People slowly but surely made their way back to Israel. So, so what does that mean? I mean, like, the prophecy already came true. He's saying the prophecy won't come true. You, you saw it happen. You saw the Jewish people come back to Israel. So how could you say it's not going to happen? Belshazzar didn't see it happen. He said it's not going to happen. You, Ahasuerus, actually saw it happen. Number three, he asks, when Cyrus allowed the Jewish people to go back to build the base of Megdash, as the story goes, he gave them the vessels to take back to the base of Megdash. So which vessels did Ahasuerus have? Cyrus already gave it. Those are the three major questions of the Ramban. So the Ramban says the following. He says, the truth is that Ahasuerus, he did believe in the prophecies. And he was very, very concerned about this. And he said, Belshazzar made a huge mistake. He didn't take the prophecy seriously. What were the prophecies? Nobody knows. The prophecy is only works, you know, when you look back. You go back to the future. When looking forward, you never know how the prophecy is going to unfold. Ahasuerus made the calculation. He said, aha. So the prophecy has come true, but that's not much of a prophecy. He said, if that's the prophecy, we have nothing to worry about. 40,000 Jews going back to Jerusalem and trying to rebuild the base on Migdash, that is not going to be the end of our empire. So he felt very comfortable at this point. 
He said, I don't, I, don't, I don't disbelieve. He didn't believe in the glorious, glowing descriptions of the prophecy. He said, the prophecy indeed has happened. And it stopped already. Some people returned and it stopped. He says, now I'm safe. That's it. It's like they're waiting for the shoe to drop. And he said, that's the shoe? That's, that's it's a slipper. That's nothing. It's not going to damage our, our, that's not going to anyway get in our way. That's, that's not a big deal. Now, having said this, so that's why he wasn't so concerned because he said he really, he, he came to the conclusion the prophecy had already been fulfilled. That's very different from Belshazzar's approach. Belshazzar said the prophecy won't happen. Hashverosh has the comfort of saying the prophecy's happened and we're still around. As to the vessels that were sent, so the Svasema says a Gvaldika thing. Well, before we'll get to the Svasemis in a minute. The Ramban says like this. The vessels, the base of English was plundered not once, but twice. The first time it was plundered was when Yochanyu went into Golos. When Yochanyu, Yochanyu was killed, and a short while later, he came back for Yochanyu. Yochanyu was brought into Golos, he plundered Yerushalayim in the base of English. So he didn't physically destroy the structure, but he stripped it of its wealth. And then, and then, 11 years later, he returned to destroy the base of Mikdash. So, if you do the math, the first, the time of, of the, just before Achashverosh, is exactly 70 years from when those first vessels were plundered. Those vessels were in Golis for how long? 70 years. Those vessels were sent back to Jerusalem. But Cyrus did not send the rest of the vessels back. And because he didn't send the rest of the vessels back, Achashverosh thought to himself, they're not going back. He didn't realize that some of the vessels would remain, all the vessels would remain in Galut for 70 years. Some from when they were plundered, some from when the base of Megdash was destroyed. So this is how the Ramban explains the Gemara. Now this Fasemis asks, he says, uh, this is not fair. Belshazzar, he messed around with the prophecies and he gets killed. Achashverosh, messes around the prophecies and his wife gets killed. <laughs> That's not fair. The Belshazzar was no, no less evil or no more evil than Achashverosh. They both did the same sin. So the Svasema says, well, it's not so simple. Belshazzar denied the prophecy outright. He said, the Jewish people are dead. They will never rise again. Jews in Israel, history, never happening. Achashverosh didn't say it's never happening. He said, yes, Jews will go back to Israel. It'll be their homeland. I recognize that. I recognize Jews belong in Israel. But, he said, a great glorious empire is not going to rise again. It's not going to be a... That's, it's a he believed in a small return. He believed in something minor happening. As such, Achashverosh is actually not so evil. Because he does kind of believe in the prophecy. He just doesn't believe in the prophecy fully. Whereas Belshazzar doesn't believe in a prophecy at all. So Belshazzar is harmed directly. Whereas Achashverosh ends up harming Vashti. And the Ben Yehiyada says a Gvaldiga thing. He says, the truth is that Achashverosh was merely following in the footsteps of Belshazzar. Who is the real culprit? Who really got this going? Belshazzar got it going. Belshazzar was the one who had the guts to violate all the things that came from Hashem. He was the one who had the courage and the gumption to go up against the Jewish people. Achashverosh merely followed in his footsteps. And so, Belshazzar, who began, he's the one who, like it says about Amalek, jumped into the boiling hot uh, bath. He, he, he unleashed this to begin with. He got the full punishment. Belshazzar was killed. 
And he says, the Ben Yadah says, poetic justice was that since Ahasuerus was following, and it was a compounded sin, it was following the footsteps of Belshazzar, so Vashti gets killed. Who's Vashti? The daughter of Belshazzar. So Ahasuerus loses his wife, and Belshazzar's daughter is killed on the same time. And in this way, it's a continuation, it's a continuum of the sin of Belshazzar. Anyway, that is the story as we have it with regard to, to Ahasuerus' miscalculation. So the Gemara, I already told you why he miscalculated, by the way. But the Gemara, we didn't learn that in the Gemara yet. The Gemara says, one second, he made a very good calculation. Where was his mistake? He made a good calculation. He was right. He counted 70 years from the exile. This is not about Babylon. This is not about Nebuchadnezzar. It's about the exile from Jerusalem. He counted right. Eight years after Nebuchadnezzar rose to power, eight years later, the base of Migdash was plundered. The Jewish people were sent into Galut. He made a good calculation. So the Gemara says, Ihu Nami mitaatai. He also made a mistake. What was his mistake? The boye He should have counted from the destruction of Yerushalayim. That's the gullus of Tzidki Yahu. He counted from the gullus of Yehonia. That's why we mentioned the gullus of Yehonia in the beginning of the Megillah. That's very important, not only to mention that Mordechai was exiled from Jerusalem, sent into Babylon with the Golos of Yehonia. That's the whole premise of the story. The premise of the story was that Ahasuerus was counting from Golos Yehonia, not Golos Tzidkiyahu. Golos Yehonia is 11 years late, earlier, 12 years earlier. Because when Yehonia went into Golos, it was eight years after Nebuchadnezzar's rise. And ultimately, he'll only come back years later 11 years later, then to destroy the base of Megdash, that's Golos Tzidki Yahu. So Ahasuerus was actually 11 years early. That's, that was the problem. So the Gemara says, if so, let's take a look in, let's take a look in, in, in Rashi. Rashi says, Merchei Yerushalayim, Mechur Yerushalayim, for the destruction of Yerushalayim, he says, Golos Tzidki Yahu. This refers to the Galut, to the exile of Tzidkiyot. That the city itself was razed, burnt to the ground. It says openly, It says clearly that they should have been counting from the destruction of Yerushalayim, not the exile of its wise people. It is written in the book of Daniel, when it will be fulfilled 70 years from the destruction of Yerushalayim. So the destruction of Yerushalayim does not happen until later. So the Gemara says, so in the end, so how many years off was he? And the Gemara answers, Ahasuerus was, he was definitely off. How many years off was he? Chadesar. Chadesar, or as others render it, Chadsari. Chadsari is 11 years. He's 11 years off because Ihu, he himself, Ahasuerus, Kama Malach, 
How many years did he rule in total? Says the Gemara, Ar Besar, the whole reign of Xerxes, of Achashverosh, was 14 years, from beginning to the end. He died in the 14th year. Now, the story of Purim begins in the third year of his reign, two years after his reign. In the third year, he makes a big party. That's 70 years from the Golos of Yechonia, or Yehoyachon. Now, Ba'ar Besar Didei Iboyelele Mivnei Besar Migdash. 14 years after the destruction, the, the end, the end of, of uh, Achashverosh, the Beis Hamikdash should have been rebuilt then. So the Gemara says, Alamaksiv, why does it say, Be'adin, Betelas, Avidas, Beis Alahad Yerushalayim, that then there was still, the Beis Hamikdash was still not functioning in Yerushalayim, and we say that there was another, uh, waited to the second year of Darius the Persian, Daryavash HaParsi, and only then did the Beis Hamikdash start to get rebuilt again, which is two years after the death of Achashverosh, because Darius replaces him. So two years after the death of Achashverosh means that it's not, it's 16 years after. Achashverosh's whole reign is 14 years, and this was two years into his reign. So if it's two years into his reign, 11 years later is the end of Achashverosh. If it's the end of Achashverosh's reign, they should have been building the base of Migdash at the end of Achashverosh's reign. Why did it last another two years? Comes, it seems to be 13 years. It's two years missing. So Rava answers, your calculation is wrong. See, here's the problem, he says. Whenever we talk about things historically, we're saying, Darius and Cyrus, five years. Well, it wasn't really five years. It was four years and a bit. And then we talked about Nebuchadnezzar being 45 years. And Nebuchadnezzar then followed by Avilmoroda for 23 years. There wasn't like, you know, it wasn't square. It wasn't that he, he died exactly 45 years into his reign. And then there was exactly 23 years. There's overlapping. The Gemara says, it doesn't work like, it doesn't work out like that. That the years are piecemeal. A few months here and a few months there. So you have to put all the months together. If you add up all the little months of all the little years, that's when you'll have the full 70 years, which work out to be the second year of the reign of Darius. Tanya Namiachi, the Gemara says, indeed we learn so. Indeed we learn so. That it was in, in, these, in these exactly years, that, that there was some years was overlapping, as the Rashi says, the Nivla Shana, we've turned the page, we're now on page 12, that it was in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and in the time of Evil Merodach, that there is an overlap from one into the other. And so we learned indeed the Oid Shana Acheres Lebavel. There was still another year left over for the reign of Bavel until Bavel was going to be totally done in by the the, Medi, the Medes and the Persians. And during that period of time, the Omad Dar Yovesh. Darius, who was from Media, came. He, so to speak, finished off this year because it was supposed to be seven years of Babylon. So the beginning of Darius's reign is considered to be an extension of the Babylonian reign. And but and what what does Darius do afterwards? What happens is the Jewish people start to return to the Holy Land of Eretz Yisrael. So in other words, like this. 
The Gemara initially thought that the Vuchad Netzer reigned for 45 years. Full 45 years. Evu Morodach reigned for 23 full years. Belshazzar reigned for three full years. And therefore, in that case, you end up with a full 70 years from the conquest of Yehoiakim until the death of Belshazzar. However, the Bryce is explaining to us that it wasn't exactly so. There was actually a year, more or less a year missing. After, after these three different stories, three different calculations, there was a year missing. And that year was filled in with Darius the Mede. And it was in that year that, that, that works out, going backwards, and Muchanetzar, and Evel Merodach, and Belshatzar, that everybody died one year overlapping into the other, so that the 70th year finishes after Bavl is already gone. But that's the 70th year from the rise of the Babylonian Empire against the Jewish people. You got it? So let's recap to make sure everybody understands over here. The problem was, the question was, where do you start calculating from? Where do you calculate from? Do you calculate from when Babylon subdued or conquered Yerushalayim? Because effectively they did that right away. Second year of his reign. Do you count from then? That was Belshazzar's mistake. Bachashverosh understood that's not the case. He said you have to wait to the Golos. He said the exile will be 70 years. When, when, when Yehoiakim was put under the thumb and, and now paying tribute, but he was, Israel was still independent. And, then he was, and he still rebelled for three years. So it's okay. See, he made a calculation from the time that Yehoniah was taken into Golos and along with him, Acheresh Vahamazgir, all of the wise people, Mordechai goes then, that's really Galut Bavel begins then. So in that case, two years into his reign, he's completed now the eight years that are missing. He thinks he can use the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash. In fact, what's really happening here is that he is mistaken as well. Why? Because he should have calculated from the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, which is another 11 years later. Now, if you make the calculation of 11 years, so you take Ahasuerus's two years, and then his third year he made the party, add 11 years to that, how many years do you have? 14. 14 is the end of Ahasuerus. But Ahasuerus was using up other people's years. It wasn't so really until the 70 years f were completed, it was already in the second year of Darius, his son's reign. And Darius of, of Persia, Daryavesh Parsi, he is the one who permits the rebuilding of the base of Migdash. And at that point, the prophecy is fulfilled in its entirety. So interestingly, the story of Purim happens. A year later, the Megillah is written and Purim is celebrated. And the next year, they're already celebrating the Beis HaMikdash. So the story of Purim was the end of Galut. It was the last year of Galut. Two years before the Beis HaMikdash is being rebuilt. The story of Purim happens. L'shan HaAcher is The next year it's established. Esther puts tremendous pressure on Mordechai. Mordechai gets the sign that this is the right thing to do. Writes that the Megillah sends it out. The next year Purim is a huge celebration. And by the time the next Purim, the second Purim comes around already, the Jewish people are already back in Yerushalayim. And Mordechai himself is traveling back and forth because, because he's still involved in Persian affairs, but eventually he moves to Israel entirely. So Mordechai was Mishnah Lamelech HaChashverosh, but HaChashverosh lives only two years after the Purim story. And then Ahasuerus is gone. And then we have Darius. Now, interestingly, according to most opinions, and we'll talk about this much later on, Darius, is, he rules as a boy. He's a boy king. He's just a bar mitzvah boy. Who's, who, not even, 10 years old. Whose son is Darius? Esther. So basically, there was a Jewish king. But he didn't, 
he didn't he didn't rec recognize his, Jew his Jewishness. He didn't, he didn't claim his Jewishness. He was king of Persia. He considered himself a Persian. A Persian king, the son of Ahasuerus. But it turned out that a Jewish, assimilated Jewish king was the one who allowed the Jews to rebuild the base of Megdash. The tragedy is how did Esther not influence her son? How could, how, you know, it's so hard to understand how that happened. Esther had to be married for the next few years to Ahasuerus. And then living in the shadow of her son who became the king, who never recognized and appreciated his Jewishness, at least not in a way, in a meaningful way that we're aware of. Now the Gemara tells us you should know, this is very, now it's crystal clear to us. Now we understand exactly what the calculation, what, how it went wrong, what, was, what didn't go right. Now it's very clear to us, very obvious. You should know it was not so obvious. And, and the language of the scripture itself is not so clear. And because of this, the Gemara tells us you should know Amar Rava, Rava said, Av Daniel ta. Daniel himself, the prophet Daniel, he also made a mistake by Chushbena. Dechsiv, because it's written, Bishon Achas, Lemolchai, Ani Daniel, Binoisi Bisvarim. It's the first year of, of, of his rulership. And I, Daniel, I'm looking in the writings of Yermio. And I'm starting to understand, trying to figure this out. Where's the 70 years? Midikamati Gamara says, be noisy, since it says that I was like, looking deeply into it. So looking deeply into it means that means it wasn't so simple. You don't have to look into things deeply if you know them. Things that are obvious you have to look into. The fact that he had to take time to investigate is, is a symbol is, is tells us, it signs to us that Daniel himself did not have clarity. The Gemara shows you now how the verses that speak about these 70 years actually seem serve officially to contradict each other. So the Gemara says, Mikol Mokim, any way that you kind of slice it or dice it, any way you want to look at it, there seems to be Kashu Krayahidad, there seem to be verses that, that serve to contradict themselves. Ksiva on one hand it says, we say that there was Milois Lebavel, when there will be 70 years full for Bavel, Hashem says in his prophecies, I'll remember you and I'm going to establish for all good things and bring you home to a good place. So from that Pasuk, which is in Yermio, chapter 29, verse 10, it seems very clearly that where do we count from? We count from Bavel. That's what, that's, that's what it says. We count, when we get to Bavel, count 70 years of Bavel. Or at least from when Nebuchadnezzar first captured Yehuda and first enslaved Yahyakum or made him pay tribute. And Ksiv, it says in the book of Daniel, that I will sat and looked into the Sfarim, and I looked at the word of Hashem to Yermio, and I had to fill the 70 years, for the destruction of Yerushalayim, it's going to be Shiv Mishana. So we see from this, that from the Psukim in Yermio itself, it's not so clear. You wouldn't know easily that it's talking about the destruction of Yerushalayim, it easily could have been understood as 70 years from the rise of Bavel over Jerusalem. And that happens very early on with Yehoiakim, much earlier. Omar Rava, Rava says that the truth is, the truth is, the calculation goes from the time that the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. And that's why the Beis Hamikdash was not destroyed until 70 years passed from its destruction. 
like it says in the Mishnah, that the Jewish people violated 70 Shemitot, and therefore the land had to be a wasteland for 70 years, and basically it had to be destroyed for 70 years. But the Pekidah Ba'alma, for Hashem remembering, for indeed 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar captured Yerushalayim, what happened 70 years later? 70 years later, Nehemiah returned to Eretz Yisrael with 40,000 Jews. They started to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, the calculation isn't entirely wrong. The Doshatzer's calculation is not entirely wrong. The Shatzer's mistake was he calculated from the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That's a mistake. He was a year too soon. There was a calculation from the time when Yehoyachan, who was the king of Yehuda, was captured, or that the city of Yerushalayim was captured. And now they had to pay tribute. So from the time that the city had to pay tribute, the time that they were formally under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, 70 years later, what happens? 70 years later, Koresh, who was the king who killed Belshazzar, who captures the Babylonian Empire and turns it into the empire of Persia and Media, he allows the Jewish people to go back to Eretz Yisrael and they start to lay the foundation for the rebuilding of the new Beis HaMikdash. So we see that 70 years after the first Galut, Hashem already remembered them. This is what it says. This is what Kodesh, Kodesh Cyrus, the king of Parah, said. God of the heavens has given me all of the, the, the lands under the heaven. He has appointed me to rebuild his home in Jerusalem. So Koresh, or Cyrus, the Persian, he had a sense of destiny about him. Seventy years after Yohan, after Yohayachan, or Yerushalayim, was captured, seventy years later he said, God has sent me to rebuild his house. Now it happens to be this is eleven years before the base of Megas, significantly more. More, more than much more than 11 years. They're talking about 18 years before the base of Migdash is going to be rebuilt. This Migdash is not going to be rebuilt for, 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 for until, until the time of Darius, second, the second year reign of Darius II. But the point is, Hashem did remember them from the beginning of that second Golas. And the Gemara does indeed bring a teaching with regard to this fellow named Koresh. Dorash of Nachum Barchista, what is the meaning? Koyomar Hashem, Limeshichai. God said to his Mashiach, to Koresh, who he grasped or held fast with his right hand. So, Rav Nachman says, What? Koresh is not Jewish, a Persian. He's the Mashiach? God says to his anointed one? Because Koresh allowed the Jewish people to go back and, and rebuild the base of Mignesh? And anyway, he, he was never anointed with any kind of oil. No prophet ever appointed him as it would give him any position within the rubric of Jewish leadership. So the Gemara says, no, okay, this I have to read it. God said to Mashiach, to Mashiach ben David. And there are many stories over the ages of messages being conveyed to Mashiach. So God, so speaks, communicates with Mashiach. And he says, I'm complaining to you. I'm, I'm using this opportunity to kvetch. What am I kvetching about? al Kurdish. I'm, I'm registering a complaint against Koresh. Shani Amarti, who Yivnez Basi, I said he should build my home. The Kabetz Sorry. Golu Yoisai. And that he should bring my exiles in. Bahu Amar, 
He didn't say. He wasn't prepared to get his hands dirty. He said, Who was interested in going? I won't stand in your way. So Korach actually fails. Because Korach is supposed to get involved personally. Instead of Korach getting involved personally, he passes the buck and he says, I won't get in your way. The Jewish people can do this. Hashem is not happy with Korach. So what has the Gemara done for us? The Gemara now has shown us that the various calculations being made were not entirely flawed. They were flawed to come to conclusions. The conclusion that you cannot use the vessels of the base of Migdash or the conclusion that the Jewish people are dead, vanquished and finished, that was a big mistake. That's not, not, that's not correct. But the idea that 70 years could be counted from various junctures in time actually is correct. And not only could it be counted from, from various junctures, things happened. 70 years after Yehoyachan was, was, was formally captured, Yerushalayim was captured, 70 years later... The new emperor is no longer the Babylonian empire. Now it's the Persian media empire. Korish, Cyrus says, go ahead, build the base of Migdash. But he doesn't, the Jewish people don't come home. The base of Migdash never ends up getting built because Shomronim, or the secular Jews of the day, send a message that, that, that you're gonna, they rebel against you and, and the, the whole project ends up grinding to a halt and Ahasuerus takes over and it's finished. So in the end, the 70 years are fulfilled not once, but at least twice. There's the 70 years of the first Gullus, and then there's the 70 years in the end of the Beis being destroyed. But the fact that these people made miscalculations was not based entirely on foolishness. They had, they had backing. But they were still weren't right. <laughs> At the end of the day, it was an epic miscalculation. At the end of the day, everything Hashem promised will be, and Hashem promised that 70 years later the Beis would be rebuilt, 70 years later, 70 years after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Beis HaMikdash was in fact rebuilt. And that's the subtext of the Megillah. So the, sub the Megillah is a story about the Jewish people, and it's like a story about Ahasuerus, but Ahasuerus' destiny is somehow intertwined with the Jewish people, just like Belshazzar's destiny was intertwined with the Jewish people. So the, the, the forces, the mighty emperors, or the, the dominant forces of the world, always somehow were obsessing over the Jewish people and nothing changed over history. The mightiest empires, the strongest governments were endlessly persecuting the Jewish people. And if you look carefully at history, you'll see that every single kingdom or country or republic that rose to greatness had an enormous Jewish population as part of it. They were buoyed by the Jewish population and when they started to persecute the Jewish people, they collapsed. And a few, a few examples, of course, are the, the, the Spanish. The Spanish was like the golden age of Spain, right? Before, before the Spanish Inquisition, Spain was the dominant country in all of Europe. What's Spain today? They never recovered. The Romans, the mighty Romans, captured, destroyed Israel. What's left of them afterwards? All of these mighty nations that rose up against us inflicted great harm and suffering, but in the end, collapsed and disappeared. And it would uh, be a wise thing for all those who are concerned about their future to learn the lesson of history. That ultimately, if they will be good to the Jewish people, if they will be good to Am Yisrael, Hashem will be good to them. And if they will go against Am Yisrael, and if they try to harm Am Yisrael, no matter how they twist or interpret the, the prophecies, ultimately, if they go against Am Yisrael, the, the, they will in the end collapse and disappear. And speaking of prophecies that will come true, we end with a prayer that Mashiach will finally come. And the Mashiach bin David, who's mentioned here in the Gemara, that Hashem complained to Mashiach bin David 
about Koresh not getting fully involved, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should finally send us Mashiach ben David, and that the third base of Megdash should be rebuilt. It's long overdue. Then Heira be Amenu Amen. Amen.